Hey, pregnancy class is about to start. Where are you? At home. Sick. Flu? COVID? Flu. Bummer. Didn't you get your flu and COVID vaccinations? I didn't know if they were safe. My doctor said they are. And even protect our babies after they're born by giving them antibodies. Really? Ugh. I'm scheduling an appointment this week. Take care. I'll take notes for you. Shots hurt a little, but missing out hurts a lot. Get your flu and COVID vaccines. Brought to you by Iowa HHS. In the week that saw Killing Eve release the trailer for Series 2, the judging panel for the UK Drag Race revealed and Paddington announced he'll be returning to the small screen, this is Series Linked. I'm Emma Bullimore from the TV Times and this is Mark Jeffries from The Mirror. Hi Jeffers. Hey, how's it going? Good, thank you. Well, on this week's episode of the podcast dedicated to everything on the box that's both on and in demand, the makers of Sunday Night Smash Baptiste, Harry and Jack Williams will be with us in the studio. We'll be arguing about podcast turned Netflix drama Dirty John and Simon Cowell shares his box set to watch before you die. You're listening to Series Linked, the podcast for TV fans by TV fans. Hello again, Jeffers. You right? Yeah. So we've had some massive reality show news this last week. Everyone's talking about X Factor again, not necessarily for good reasons. They're reporting that there's going to be a celebrity version and not the actual version of that we're used to of X Factor. What do you make of all of this? Yeah, it's quite big news. Basically, they've scrapped the audition process for sort of contestants in terms of the general public. And they're now saying there's going to be a celebrity version and also potentially a second series, which will feature past winners or past finalists. It's quite a dramatic change in terms of the format. And it's clearly down to the fact that the ratings have been dropping for a few years now. It seems quite a bold decision, but I'm just not sure whether it's going to pay off or not. It's still going to presumably be up against Strictly. Strictly has that sort of celeb factor in it, um, which X Factor are presumably going to be fighting potentially for the same people to try and get them on their show to sing. So it it feels like a a big move and and it's it's quite a big gamble. I'm not sure whether it's going to pay off. What what do you think? Well, I get the all-star version. They're doing a big all-star version of the Got Talent franchise in America, which features not just American uh, contestants, but also our lot. Susan Boyle was competing in it. Paul Potts was competing in it. I actually watched some of that. It's on Netflix at the moment. And if you like your big reality shows, it's really good fun because they're of a certain standard already. And there's lots of people who just missed out or, you know, their lives have changed. So that's really cool. And I can see that working. Uh, But the celebrity version, I'm a bit... I mean, Simon obviously knows what he's doing and there must be some logic behind this. But I just think they did a celebrity version of X Factor once, like really early days, and it didn't really work. Paul and Debbie were on it and, you know, not Gillian McKeith, I think, was on it. You know, not Rebecca Lou's on it, I think, as well, from memory. So, you know, not really A-listers. So I'm not really sure how that is going to compete when you get to autumn season, when it's so busy and there's so much great telly on. And it just seems, I don't know, the whole magic of X Factor to me that when I've enjoyed it in the past is that you take someone off the street and they can become a massive superstar. It is the only show on TV really that can make you properly, you know, you give you a proper record contract. The voice can't, can't really compete in that respect. The thing is as well, they're, they're talking about sort of almost more shows rather than less shows. The show obviously is, is not getting the numbers it did five or 10 years ago. And instead of going smaller, it feels like if anything, we're going for more here. We're going for two series of the X Factor. In one interview, there was talk about a, greatest hits of sort of Britain's Got Talent like 
with lots of the old contestants of that. So that feels like very similar to having an, an old one of the X Factor with all the winners. It feels like there's crossover there. There probably needs to be one show of those two, I think. I agree with you. The the one that's been held in America with Susan Ball and other ones where it's the best from around the world, I think that might that might have a market. Britain's Got Talent is still pretty bulletproof, still doing incredible ratings. With X Factor, I think they're going to go for some celebs and presumably going to go for a studio-based show. They'll save money on the auditions. They're probably going to put a lot of money into into the studio and perhaps go for like a six-week run or something. But it, it does feel like a big change. And X Factor, let's be honest, the last few years feels like it's been treading water a little bit. And I think everyone agrees there needs to be some sort of change. I'm just not sure whether this is the right thing or not. Is this the last year they're contracted for for ITV? I think this is the last year, yeah. Simon again said in an interview this week that ITV have put a contract on the table, I think, for another three years. To be honest, um, when we had Dermot in, he said the same thing. If you include the consolidated figures and people watching on YouTube, there's still a big market there. They're still making money from advertising through the show. So I don't think it's not quite the last throw of the dice, but it feels like it's a big gamble because obviously if the ratings don't don't go up, then they're sort of no better off and they've tried loads of different things and then maybe there's nowhere else to go. I'm not sure. And let's quickly mention Simon's other show, The Greatest Dancer. We're getting really close to the end now. It's the final this weekend. How do you think it's gone? Do you think it's got better as we've gone on and gone to the live shows? I've got to be honest, I've watched a few of the live shows and I have enjoyed them. It's, it's slick, it's well made. Um, I'm just, the ratings haven't really backed up the, the quality of the show. Um, it's still doing around three million, something like that. And the only problem for them as well is, is some of the biggest talking points have been the captains, not the contestants. There was a big performance in the semi-final on Saturday night. They had lots of the Strictly dancers dancing with Cheryl and Oti and everyone. And that was brilliant. And that uh, got the biggest cheer on the night, really. I think even the, the presenters admitted that we've not seen a reaction like that. Well, that's part of the problem in itself. You want that reaction from those contestants. Does anyone really care that much out of the four who are left? Who's going to win? I'm not sure anyone is, is as bothered as, as they'd like them to be. But but it is the first series. When Dermot O'Leary was on the other week, he wanted us to give it another series. And, and I think they probably will because uh, on screen it looks pretty good. They just could do with another million or a couple of million to be watching it, really. I agree with you. I really like seeing the captains. But like you say, that shouldn't really be the point. It's quite relentlessly positive, that show. Not that I think it should be bitchy or, or anything like that. But they, they perform and everyone says they're great. Then the judges say they're great. And then they go upstairs and say once again how great they are. And everything's great. And you're watching it thinking, well, actually, no, that performance was worse than that one. And that... I don't, I don't know. I feel like they're sort of just heaping praise on everyone and then you don't actually really get to know the performers and you don't get to see any kind of journey, which I know is a totally hackneyed reality show word, but it is important for these kind of shows. Yeah, there does have to be some, not necessarily negativity, but there has to be some reality. I think one of the acts uh, the weekend scored in the 60s from the audience, generally they score in the 90% in terms of the positivity. So there was obviously something wrong with that performance and nobody really from the captains or anywhere was willing to call them out and say, oh, you messed that step up or that went wrong and there does need to be some sort of light and shade there does need to be some contrast otherwise as you say it's all a bit syrupy and I'd appreciate it's a family show but it's super nice isn't it well you know Strictly is super nice but also has Craig telling people that was not good enough and you need to do this better and Bruno's not afraid to do that in fact none of them are so I think maybe we need a little bit of that yeah reality check So as always, of course, we have been watching lots of telly and lots of drama this week. Baptiste was the biggie. We're going to be talking about that in a lot more detail later with the creators, Harry and Jack. But Jeffers, we've both also been watching Traitors, which is Channel 4's new drama. Can you set this up a little bit for us? Yeah, this is on actually at the same time as Baptiste. It's Sunday nights at nine o'clock. It's a sort of spy thriller 
um, an epic set in 1945's London. We've got a main character who is Thief Simmons and she is played by an unknown actress called Emma Appleton and she is this young girl who's sort of deployed by the Americans to try and spy on the British government. She's working as a civil servant and it's sort of her tale about how she gets in and infiltrates the British government to try and find out secrets. It's a nicely shot drama. It looks very good on screen, but it did take a little while to warm up. And um, it's also got Keely Hawes in it, who's also playing a female civil servant. Looking but very different. Looking to how very you'd different, expect. yeah. She plays Priscilla, who's another civil servant and is quite sort of powerful for uh, women's rights and that type of thing, which I think is going to grow as the series progresses. But in certainly in the first episode, she wasn't in it very much at all, which I think probably was a disappointment to some fans. What did you think? That's it. Whenever Keely Horse is on a cast list, you just wanted to be... Like, even Bodyguard, as soon as they killed her, I was like, no, I don't want to watch it anymore. This is so annoying. But, you know, it's it's not all about Keely, I suppose. I thought it, it was not really what I expected from a Channel 4 drama in that it didn't really feel very edgy. It felt actually quite BBC I thought because it was very glamorous and beautifully shot almost nostalgic you know there, there is a weird nostalgia around that wartime apart from it being obviously a terrible time I kind of thought it was good but I wasn't absolutely gripped I wasn't thinking oh, I must watch episode two there's so much around at the moment I think things need to work a little bit harder to get you really hooked I don't know would you be desperate to see episode two I've actually seen the first couple of episodes and it, it is good but it's not fantastic and I think as you say there is a lot of drama we're talking about three or four just today alone so you do have to kind of make some noise or be special in some way or another in order to get viewers at the moment and I think that's that's the problem maybe um, Traitors has found it's up against a lot of other drama on sort of terrestrial TV channels at the moment I think Emma Appleton is very good in the lead role I think she's probably going to be a name we're going to hear a lot more of in the future and as I understand it, Keely Hawes' character does come to the fore in episodes three and four. So I think it, it might get better, but I think it's going to struggle to get people tuning in initially to watch that first episode. I think if you like period dramas and uh, those type of things, then it, it, it probably is worth a watch. But it, it's not going to be one for everyone, I don't think. And remember, it's also up against Endeavour, which is, you know, the, the more spin-off on ITV. And that's eight till ten. So that's an hour in before Traitors even starts. And although that's not being talked about in the same way as, you know, Sexy Baptiste or whatever, it is a very popular drama and it's really well done and it has a really loyal following. So although it might not be headline grabbing in the way that Baptiste has been, I think people will be watching that as well. So it's really quite hard, I think, Traitors to have that slot and try and really get a following. So let's talk about the show that I've binge watched this week. I watched a whole series in one. I thought it was amazing. You're more lukewarm about it. This is Dirty John on Netflix, which is a spin-off of a true crime podcast. Set it up a little bit for us. It's all about a character called John Meehan, and he basically poses as a doctor in LA. Um, he meets a woman called Deborah Newell. She's a very talented and successful interior designer. She has been married four times. She's in her 50s looking for love. And her and John meet on a dating site. And it looks like a match made in heaven, but it turns out to be basically hell for her. He turns out to not be a doctor, to not be a lot of things he says he is. And from within about four or five weeks, she realises this dream uh, relationship she thinks she's in is actually a, a complete disaster and, and has huge implications for the rest of her life, essentially. But the kids are pretty wise to it early on. So it's it's her. She's wrapped up in this romance and actually everyone around her can see uh, this might not be what you th what you think it's going to be. So Connie Britton plays Deborah. Connie Britton from Friday Night Lights and Nashville, who I absolutely love. So this is why immediately I was like, right, I've got to watch this. She's starring opposite Eric Banner. I thought this was brilliant. I really enjoyed it. I find that crime drama can be very formulaic, but I felt it was fresh. I felt it was 
I don't know, it was glossy. Like she had lovely Chanel handbags as well as, you know, it being a, a big sort of plot driven drama. So I think it had a bit of something for everyone. You kind of were a bit nonplus though. Is that right? I just couldn't really see the redeeming features in the Newell family, really. I do obviously feel sorry for them in terms of what John is doing, but all the kids were really spoiled brats. They were certainly portrayed as, as not really having many redeeming features. Deborah is also very naive and incredibly gullible, I suppose, in it, and it just didn't really make me have a lot of sympathy for her. That did change. Um, I watched the first couple of episodes and the sort of kicker, the end of the second episode, has made me want to watch more. But the problem is, I guess... They, they just seemed to be in sort of a dream world and I didn't feel that sorry for them, whereas I, I think clearly I was supposed to feel very sorry for them. I did then go back and listen to the podcast and I could see what completely why they turned it into a drama. It's a, it's a great podcast as well, but I think if you were going to look to watch the drama, it's better to watch it without having listened to the podcast because there's reveals right from the start in terms of where the plot's going in uh, for the Netflix drama and it's probably better to watch it with, with without knowing those sort of spoilers, essentially. thing is, I disagree with you, though, because she is naive, but that doesn't mean that I don't feel sorry for her. She's, just, she's obviously easy prey for this guy. Um, but I don't know, I think she, she kind of wants to see the best in people, this character, and that's her downfall, obviously, but it's still really interesting to see the way in which he infiltrates her life, and it's not eight episodes of her being fooled. You know, she, she does sort of realise what's going on, and then his reaction is really interesting, and how they... There are so many twists and turns, like Abducted in Plain Sight that we saw the other day, when you think the story's over and you think, well, that should be, everyone has wised up now, and then it continues and continues. There are a couple of bits, a couple of episodes in the middle where I felt it drifted off, but I thought the first few episodes were really strong, the final few episodes were really strong, and I, I really enjoyed it. I think Connie Britton is is a reason why I enjoyed it, not just because I like her in general, but she's such a skilled actress. I think she kind of, for me, she drew me into that character, even though, like you say, you do kind of think, oh, well, maybe you should have seen this coming. Connie Britton is great and Eric Banner as John as well. The big thing about his character, I think, is you can see how you could be tricked by him. He's a good looking guy. He's very positive in the way that he chats to her and uh, sort of supports her. And he, he looks like he's a great date apart from the really bad clothes. Whereas I think in the podcast, the only thing you get is that he's a negative person and you should have seen him sort of seen what he was doing miles away. Whereas you do, in the, I suppose, in the drama, get that sense of how you could be sort of hoodwinked by him and how if you were looking for love and perhaps perhaps needing some love in your life, that's the big thing with Deborah as a person. She was sort of traveling the world but had no one to really travel the world with. A difficult relationship with a lot of her kids. And so she's basically crying out for someone and, and he fills that void perfectly and is willing to sort of do things for her so she feels loved. And then basically, yeah, it just goes uh, terribly wrong, doesn't it? So there's a big event this week, which is just as big in the telly world as it is the music world in the form of the Brit Awards on Wednesday night. Jack Whitehall's going to be hosting again. Sam Smith, Dua Lipa performing loads and loads of stars. Do you sit and watch it, Jeffers? I probably will sit and watch it, but it's not got quite the allure as it had perhaps when I was a bit younger, if I'm being totally honest. I'm watching it more in case something goes wrong or something big happens, I suppose. It makes me feel ancient. I remember, was it last year or the year before that Stormzy was singing and he had like a shower coming down here? I was thinking, what yeah. about the electric? The mic is going <laughs> to spot. This is bad. Um, anyway, while we're in a musical mood, the big question of the week is this. What do you think is the best slash worst single ever released by a TV star? Well, there's so many options. Um, I think Mr. Blobby's got to probably be the worst. Oh, God, I can't believe you've mentioned him. Although like, beyond worst. Although, you know, compared to Mr. Blobby, there's also, think of EastEnders, that's a very rich field to take from. You've got Nick Berry, Martin McCutcheon, My Perfect That moment. was a tune. That was a big song. Anita Dobson. 
Oh, uh, God, she did the theme tune. What must Brian May have thought? She'd gone home to Brian May and he's been like, so what have you been doing? I've recorded recorded some words the EastEnders theme tune I mean generally yeah EastEnders is pretty shocking all of those and then but you look at other soap people you've got Kylie Minogue her career you know she's done alright after Neighbours hasn't she so that's pretty good but my own personal favourite is uh, Robson and Jerome's what up, <laughs> Robson and Jerome's <laughs> up on the roof and the reason for that is when I used to no. stack shelves in a supermarket we used to sing this over the tunnel me and another guy were encouraged <laughs> to do so by some of the uh, females workers there and we used to do the dance routine and everything so there was a dance routine there was a dance routine well there's a little sort of you know if you watch the video Robson and Jerome sort of sway from side to side so yeah that that's got obviously really fond memories for me back when I had probably the best job of my life stacking shelves this yeah. is even more embarrassing than when you admitted you like the OC this is a new level were you playing Robson or Jerome I think I, well I think we're interchangeable to be honest with you <laughs> Don't say that to them. <laughs> um, and up, up on the roof above, I believe, which was obviously the big smash. And they did Unchained Melodies. Oh, I can't believe we know this much about Russell and Jerome's <laughs> singing career. But yeah, Up on the Roof was the one that was on the music system on in the co-op in Bath. Yeah, so that's that's the one that's got fond memories for me. And did you get a date out of this girl? Like what? No, they're all, all the, they're all about sort of 50 or 60 year old, the people <laughs> I was working with. They, I think they just saw us as sort of like almost like sun figures or something. Yeah, it's quite so weird. So you weren't even doing it to impress them because you fancied them. It was just... It was just requests, yeah. This was just one of the songs <laughs> they liked to sing in, yeah. Okay. Um, are we saying Robson and Jerome is, is the very best? I, I, is the best. Oh, three lines is probably the best, isn't sure. it, from fantasy football. But personally, you're asking me what my best one is. It's definitely up on the roof, yeah. Just have to reconsider the future of this podcast. <laughs> You're listening to Series Linked. Coming up, Simon Cowell tells us his box set to watch before you die. Plus up next, the creators of Baptiste. When you buy clothes from Balkan, you're not buying from just another online retailer. You're buying from a five-star rated brand. Fit and quality is at the heart of everything we do. And you're not buying throwaway fashion either. You're buying meticulously crafted, elegant pieces that you'll love forever. Our collections are defined by foundational pieces infused with timeless essentials and relevant trends. Marie Claire described our collections as everyday designs with a cool fashion edge. And The Telegraph said, if you're after a perfectly pulled together, paired back capsule wardrobe, then Balkan is your go-to. Right now, you can enjoy a little luxury for less in our end-of-season sale. And with free delivery and returns when you spend £59, there's never been a better time to try us. In fact, the only difficult bit is spelling our name. Balkan. B-A-U-K-J-E-N. Find us at balkan.com. That's B-A-U-K-J-E-N.com. So, Sunday evening saw the beginning of Baptiste, a spin-off from the hugely successful drama The Missing. And we're very happy and very lucky to welcome into the Series Link studio the two creators of the show, Harry and Jack Williams. Hi. Hi. Oh, thank you. Hello. Thank you for coming. Did oh. you sit and watch it on Sunday night? Yes. Yes. Had you seen it a million times? <laughs> yes. We, but there's only only a few times we've seen it uh, fully mixed and graded. I thought about not watching it 
yeah. for the first time. Normally we watch everything, which sounds incredibly self-regarding and like, ah, oh, look at what I did. But <laughs> You should be proud. Yeah, that's what we do when we watch it. <laughs> that is, we just go, look what I did. No one can actually hear anything because we're just wow. busy congratulating each other. I think it's because once it goes out and you watch it, that is it. I've never watched anything once it's aired. You never get out the DVD, which is, again, probably for the best. But so you kind of go after all this work, it's the last chance to go, this is it, I can't... Normally when you watch it, there's something you can do. You can adjust a level, you can change a line, you can change it. And it's the only it, time you watch it, and that's it. It's the show, and it's done. But it doesn't stop you wanting to change things. Yeah, I do text him <laughs> halfway through, going, you know what, we should have done. He's like, Did you do that on Sunday night? Oh, uh, I didn't, but I texted him afterwards saying I had some ideas. <laughs> <laughs> For an episode that's already aired. Yeah. But what can you do, eh? And do you look at social media as well? I don't look at it while it's going out, because I think if, if, they're, if they're on social media, they're not watching it properly, are they? But afterwards... I do, yes. I, well, I didn't. I gave it to my other half and she selected a few ones <laughs> just in case. I do the same. I used singers. to look. Now I get it curated by my wife. Yeah. She just read it and I just watch her face. The main thing you've done is it, for anyone that works, if their employment is reading a gas meter this week, I think you've completely <laughs> ruined their life. <laughs> that was your intention. That's what, that was our goal with yeah. this series. Job done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we're trying to do, really. Yeah. So why was it Baptiste and not The Missing Three? Uh, well, we talked about The Missing Three. And I think, you know, with the missing comes a lot of stuff like the, you know, the first and second one were missing children and they were very much of a piece. There was a lost and a found in the second series. And I think we didn't want to repeat ourselves and become formulaic because it's quite easy to slip into that and repeat, you know, the, the things that you did in terms of telling the story. Um, so, you know, we said we we're going to take out the long period of you know, the long break in time, which instantly it felt like a kind of different show and putting Julianne front and centre of it rather than going his, you know, Nesbitt or Keely Hawes was the other change that we did. So, yeah, it just sort of felt like the natural thing to do. By making him the centre and going, we're not focusing on the missing people or the missing family, as in series one and two, we can go, if we take him with the focus, it frees us up a little bit, at least personally, to not feel beholden to certain things we'd done and people had enjoyed so it's very very similar and that's a good thing and it's intentional but it's yeah there are some fundamental differences well Baxi starts with a missing person but you know by the end of the first episode he's found the missing person and it's not really about that question mark and where that person is it's suddenly becomes something else and does it take the pressure off a bit because people love the missing and it's so important to a lot of people it's hard to keep topping that, I suppose. It sort of adds to the pressure because they're like, well, if it's not the missing, what is it then? Is it going to be as good as the missing? And you're like, oh, God, have we done this? <laughs> what are we doing to ourselves? And also, missing hasn't been on for a while now, so people sort of remember loving it. But didn't when we were there, not everyone loved it, and lots of people didn't, and lots of people hated it. And I thought, But then suddenly everyone has this recollection that it was great, and you're compared to their recollection of it rather than the actual thing. So it's, all, it's always horrible, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> you, always, you always feel pressure in some way. And how would you describe the storyline for this one? If if anything, it's possibly darker, isn't it? I think so, yeah. It's a lot darker. It's, you know, The Missing One too. sort of you lived in the grief of these families and it was very slow burn and happened over 15 years. This happens over six or seven days uh, and it's like a pressure cooker and it's sort of constant tension throughout. So whilst it's got the same atmosphere, you know, the music and all that stuff and the way it's shot to a certain extent, it's pretty different beast I think and part of the joy of these shows is the twists and turns you never quite know where it's going but also you have to understand what's going on how hard is it writing a show where you want to keep surprising people but you also need them to understand the plot obviously it's 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 like it's constant discussion because I mean I think certainly when the second missing came out there was a lot of discussion about how complicated it was and how 
confused everyone got. And some people loved it and some people really didn't, found it really annoying and really hard to follow. You don't want to be annoying and have people watch it twice. It shouldn't feel like homework. It's meant to be entertainment of some sort. I don't I don't think people should have to go back and rewatch it or read every article about it to understand what happened. That feels like it's being a bit unfair. But equally you don't want people constantly turn to each other and go, So remind me, what are we doing now? Because that's bad. Yeah, <laughs> so... you've got you got two versions of what's going on. You're like, oh God, what's going on? I want to know. Or you've got what's actually going on because I literally don't understand and <laughs> you want the first one. And in that first episode, the main talk from what I could see on social media afterwards seemed to be all about the head in the cellar. I don't suppose there's too much you can say about that, but it seems pretty clear that it's the head from props the first five minutes of the episode, the dismembered head, would that be right? That would be entirely correct. Yeah, it is. It is uh, the head of the man we saw at the beginning on the beach. And um, yeah, we saw lots of questions about why and how and what that means. And that's they're gratifying questions because we do have an answer to them. And do audiences tend to react in the way you think they will? Or do they get confused over things you thought were obvious or, you know, like bits that you didn't even think were the best bits or, you know? Yeah, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly, you know, we an ending like that, you go, I think this is good and surprising. You, you know, one or two people go, well, I saw that coming. You go, really? How? <laughs> I mean, sure. I mean, if you had to guess everything, someone's going to get it right. Some people want to find problems. Some people are like, well, how did a 65-year-old man with a limp find catch up with a 17 year old right? well <laughs> exactly. and you know i mean if that's really affecting your enjoyment of the program then i can't help you but mostly i think when it comes to the big thing the big surprise the big thing we talk about all the time is what will people be thinking right now and what do we think the audience will expect it sounds a bit meta of the conversation but it's really important so you don't i, I hate a show where you you guess what's going to happen and three hours later finally they reveal yeah it. Like you've got to well, with Missing as well, you know, it was sort of those cliffhangers became part of the show and people would be like, oh, so what's going to happen at the end of this one? So certainly in plotting, you're like, well, how do we not, you know, how do we surprise people, but also remain faithful to the plot and narrative and characters and not just do something crazy that doesn't really make any sense? It's all, That's always the struggle is doing something surprising that is that earns its place and actually makes sense. And so we got more of those to look forward to, more of those sort of cliffhanger on the, on the end of each of the episodes coming as well. Definitely. Yes. Two's got... Say. I think they all have them. Two is great. What can you tease about episode two? Presumably going to be a lot more from Tom Hollander's character, Edward Stratton? Definitely. I think the end of episode one, there's a slow tightening of the screw sort of dramatically and in terms of the tension. And for the last 10 minutes, I think it starts to build and build. And that slightly claustrophobic breathless feeling you have with the two of them is just the whole of episode two it's unbelievable it's, it's quite it, an intense watch the second episode and then in episode three we've still got to come jessica rain another huge star and she, she's got quite a big part to play as well is that right yeah she's amazing and she's sort of as you've never seen her before she's sort of um got an undercut and, and a very abrasive sort of manner and a reason for having said manner uh she's absolutely brilliant uh, yeah, we just watched. We're actually, we're just um, doing the mix on episode five today, and she's very, she's brilliant. She plays, as Harry says, a really abrasive character, but there's a big reason for it. And emotionally, she really gets under the skin of it. She's, I mean, I thought she was good, but after watching her in our show, I think she's amazing. So there you are. She's brilliant. She's and very, very good. Got a much bigger. So she appears in episode three and is in it till the end of the series. And was Baptiste always going to survive that operation? Or did you ever think? Definitely. Always. <laughs> we could not kill him. He's too lovely, isn't but he? Also just killing, <laughs> and if you did kill him, you've got to have a funeral. Just killing people yeah. for the hell of it with a black screen would have been so You've got to have a send-off with lots of police officers. And yeah, I mean, and like yeah. a little an the French national anthem and people Definitely. saluting and like, do it properly. Bury him at sea. Yeah. Like, no, we always thought, which is why they, at the end of uh, series two of the little countdown, the doctors went, oh, he survives longer than your average person because somehow he's magically resistant to anaesthetic. I don't know. 
know, but <laughs> <laughs> but that was the point it's we were talking about. Yeah, exactly. And, and I've heard rumours that there could be more if this goes well. The ratings are pretty good from the first show. You, you've got ideas for for series two and three, possibly. Is that we right? We're talking about we're them talking just now. We're actually very excited about it. It's very rare that we have the idea for the you know the the next series as we're doing the the current one. But yeah, we have something very much in mind, which elements of this definitely play into it. Uh, and yes, we're very, very keen to do it. So I just hope the figures stay good. Would it be like Line of Duty that Series 1 is actually setting things down for Series 4 or 5? Do you know what I mean? Will things Definitely, develop? yeah. There are some things that happen in the series that have... They're not essential because it'd be really annoying to get to this and not come back and feel like you were missing something. But there are some things planted over the last three episodes that would what we have in mind to pay off down the line uh, we have big plans a big plan. I mean, yeah we're talking about the very end of the whole thing and you know how we'd end the whole thing today which is yeah I don't think the intention is to have to come back for the next seven years necessarily no. I think we'd, we'd like to do not the funeral not the funeral <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's a whole maybe hour right there I don't like that I don't yeah. like and, that. The, and then salute it's always like yeah, oh, it's like very emotional Rifles and you're like why are they saluting yeah. wasn't in the... never mind and this would be I think enough for most writers to have this one massive hit shows but you guys are so busy you're involved with Fleabag and Cheat which is a, a big drama coming up on ITV The Widow another big drama A how do you find the time and B how how have you enjoyed this kind of move to not just writing but also helping a lot of other new writers come through well it's all just born out of paranoia and uh, eight <laughs> years of not working so it's sort of we've had eight years of not getting any commissions and being like so we've got to write the next one in order to try and eat and support our families um, so it's just sort of an instinct that we've acquired but it's nice producing is very nice it's very fun because you can get involved and talk about the story and get excited and then some other poor person has to go away and actually do the rewrite which is always (laughs) you can go yeah they could just do this and just change and then actually doing that is horrible and really hard so it's really exciting that you know, with cheating flea bags, someone else has to do it. And with my TV sort of fanboy hat, and what else can you tell us about Lie? You're going to be filming that this year, is that right? Yeah, we start filming that in uh, <clears throat> March. We've actually filmed a little bit already because of an actor's beard. Um, <laughs> literally <laughs> an actor's beard. Yeah, a beard is, uh, may cause a lot of havoc. Um, can you tell us which actor? Yes. Yeah, Kieran. Uh, Kieran who plays Bew, Ian. Who, who plays Ian in series one, and he's in an HBO show in which he has to have a very long beard. Right. <laughs> and we had to film him uh, at the end of last year before the beard got too long. It's so stupid. But then <laughs> it's so ridiculous. But then they had that Superman actor back with a moustache, and they had to spend hundreds of thousands CGIing his moustache out. So we didn't have that. We so don't have Superman money. Though, we don't have we? Superman money. <laughs> to no take Henry for a beard, no, yeah. There's nothing like that. But no, it's very good. We finished all the scripts. Uh, and James Strong, who directed the first lot, is coming back, and all the cast are, as well as some excellent new actors. Uh, it's very exciting. We're loving it. It's um, out in the autumn again. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Joanne and Johan are both back, uh, despite the fact that Johan is dead. Mm, how's that Flashback work? scenes? Indeed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Flashback scenes. So at the end of series one, there was a three weeks in between uh, Andrew Earlham, Yoan's character, going missing and him being found dead in the marshes as we saw at the end of the series. So in series two, we'll go back and revisit those three weeks and see what happened in that intervening time, while also playing scenes in the present day with Joanne's character, who uh, has 
problems of her own to contend with related to this death. But yeah. he is definitely dead. He's not going to suddenly come back to life and go... Zombie Earlham, no. Zombie Earlham or his twin brother or anything. No, that would be good, though. <laughs> <laughs> and that first series was everyone... It was a big conversation. Everyone was talking about it. Can we expect that same kind of really, big question marks over series two? I really hope so. You never know, really. <laughs> Just sort of... But definitely the, the, the question of who's lying. There's a yeah. different question about who's lying about what in the series... Uh, and that is, I think, from what from people who've read it, they definitely have those same questions. And I think keeps you guessing. And you know, there's just an amazing, you know, amazing crew and amazing actors. And to have them all back means I think it'll it'll be pretty exciting. Mm. And what's your writing process like? Are you disciplined? Do you have an office that you go to, or just are we disciplined? Each other? Harry? Oh. <laughs> we're moderately disciplined. We are pretty disciplined, actually. We, we are. We, we're not quite. We didn't hard. used to be disciplined. We were pretty disciplined. We had long lunches. Long lunches. <laughs> Which might explain... The lunches young... have gotten smaller. Yeah. Shorter. Um, no, we're quite disciplined. We have an office in town uh, for the company, which we try and go to two days a week, and then rest of the time we're at my office in my garden at home uh, writing there. But yeah, we start at nine, finish at... Depends. Awkward <laughs> <laughs> oh, silence. And never any big arguments about any of the storylines or any of the big shows we, we've watched? Never, really. Never arguments. It's always a sort of discussion. We always kind of come from the place of if one person doesn't like it, we'll figure something else out or find another way to get to the point we both need to get to. But I think we both hear a good idea. We're so relieved to hear it. We're just like, oh, right, well, let's do that. That's, uh, you know, we always interrogate it. If one of us goes, that, that could be better, then you go, great, please have a better idea. Like, it's it just, you, and when you find the right idea, it, it is just right. We don't really argue because there's... There's always other ways of doing things, and also you get so many notes. I mean, by the time you do a script, there's other producers and the director and the actors and the channel, and normally yeah. an American partner as well. So, if we argue with each other before we go to the other fifteen people with an opinion, we'd just die. Yeah. <laughs> so we have to uh, get on the same page first, but that's Indeed. not that hard. And the thing people often say when they're watching thrillers is, "How must their minds work to write something like that?" Do you think your minds work in a in a unique? Way do you think people you have a unique perspective? People always say that, and yeah. actually, particularly the chainsaw sequence. Everyone's like, you know, my wife is getting checked, saying, "Oh, I can't believe you're <laughs> sleeping next to him." I was like, "What? Like, yeah. I don't have a chainsaw. I don't know how to work <laughs> a chainsaw. I'm not strong enough to pick one up. I don't think. Like, I, I no. Uh, and also, it's never come from. I mean, I think the chainsaw was your fault, if I'm honest. So it's worry thrilling, about him. You know, yeah, yeah. It's also never. You never think like, "Oh, let's do something disturbing with power tools." No. It is. It, <laughs> we needed to have the, the the head in the basement. We're like, "Well, the head's got to come off the body at some point." So we so might well see do it. that. It's really boring, but you just yeah. go, and it, we want to know that Tom Honda's character's up to something and actually we need to connect him to this head. And then you go, well, let's see the head. So it's never, I don't know, people always think we must be disturbed. I don't think we are, but maybe I would say that. Well, we're very excited to see the rest of Baptiste. Are there certain episodes that you know is going to kick off online? Yes, yeah, I think so. Episode two is just, okay. it's one of, I don't know, it, it, there's just some moments in it which the director... It's it's great when directors take the script and do a much better version than you ever could have imagined of the thing. And two, just the whole episode. It's one of my favourite episodes of anything we've written, I would There's say. There's a set piece involving yeah. the canal, which is... We were excited when we wrote it, but it's brilliant. And it's it, amazing, it is just tense yeah. the whole time, the whole episode. So we're really excited about two. I guess we should ask, are you writing anything at the moment? Is there anything you can tease that maybe is about to be commissioned? So, yes, we're writing Liar 2, obviously. Um, and that's filming scene. We have got... a. Six parter that hasn't been announced that I'm not allowed to announce probably. Uh, 
Am I? Oh, it's Fire TV. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I never know what I'm allowed to say. So that that, but that's not that's quite a long development. That won't be on until at least next year. Um, yeah, but we've got yeah. You're still exciting. writing that now. Yeah. yeah. And then one other another project that is early stages that we're also not allowed to talk about. Yeah, in Australia. in Australia. Oh. And the other one's about violence. We can say that about them. Yeah, you just yeah. did. Thanks so much for coming in, Harry and Jack. We can't wait to see the rest of Baptiste. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And Baptiste is on Sunday nights, nine o'clock on BBC One. So we're going to talk about a bit of UK TV now. They've got a couple of new shows out, starting on W. This is Flack, which is a drama starring Anna Paquin, all about the crazy world of PR, which is something we obviously know a little bit about. Jeffers, what did you first make of this when you sat down and watched it? Well, it's interesting. It feels different. It feels quite punchy. Uh, it's almost an entire female cast. It's a shame that I even have to say that. It shouldn't be a big deal, but it's refreshing to sort of see a drama that is female-led almost entirely. And um, yeah, it's, it's set in this sort of PR world where there are basically celebs making loads of mistakes and what you find is Anna Packin's character has to basically pick up the flak and try and uh, firefight. And some of the examples used are fairly realistic without sort of getting into any legal trouble, but there's a celebrity chef there um, basically caught with his pants down that she has to deal with and some other quite amusing situations. But at the heart of it as well, her character also has a drug problem, has issues with sort of whether she wants a child or not. And there's there's quite a lot of layers to it. And considering it was a, a drama on a, a smaller channel, I suppose, I thought it, it punched above its weight and it, it was pretty interesting. What did you think? Absolutely. I think a lot of people will be surprised how good it is and it is sort of tucked away. Flack is the American slang for a PR, which I did not know before, but I think that will also confuse some people. I think people won't necessarily get what the show's about just from that title so that might be a mm. bit of an error um, and while I'm on negative stuff it kind of just gets me annoyed that she's brilliant in the office but she's a mess at home how many times have we seen that before but putting all that aside I did think it was really really good um, I think it's sharp and the dialogue's really great Anna Paquin's brilliant uh, and it is a really interesting world which is it's almost surprising that it hasn't been mined more you know you see one version of a celebrity and behind the scenes someone's you know running around trying to sort out their image and keep it all squeaky clean that's an interesting premise for a drama i think i think we're also going to see some good little cameo roles in this for example it was max beasley playing the celebrity chef i think there's some other celebs alan davis is going to be one of the celebs yeah Yeah, so you've got sort of real celebs playing other celebs who are in trouble with the press i quite like that as an idea the only other problem i had with it really was the boss of the pr firm played by Sophie Okanedu, and I just thought that character was a little bit too OTT. I think it's also to inject some humour. There's obviously some deliberately over-the-top scenes which are supposed to sort of lighten the mood from the seriousness of the main character's issues, but occasionally it just went a little bit over-the-top. But overall, like I said, I think it was quite a punchy drama. It's quite interesting. It just feels a bit different, and so I definitely would give it, give it another go and watch a couple more episodes. Yeah, I definitely think people should check it out. Right, let's move on to Hypothetical. Well, this is on Dave, another of the UK TV channels, with Josh Widdicombe and James Acaster. It's been on a couple of weeks now. It's got another spin on the panel show. Obviously, a lot of panel shows on Dave. What did you reckon to this, Jeffers? I think it's got potential. I don't think it's perfect in its current form. It's on for an hour. I think that's probably half it's an long, hour too. I feel like for this sort of show, that's probably half an hour too long. And the idea is that basically they come up with hypothetical situations and they kind of storyboard them and sort of go through them and then they get scored depending on how good and basically how funny the jokes are. They've got a good lineup of sort of panellists. Uh, this week coming up, we've got one with Nish Kumar and Sarah Pascoe amongst the guests. Good guests to have on. 
But like I said, I think it was a little bit too long. It probably could do with a bit of an edit. It's just not quite right. But I think there is a, a good programme to come out of it eventually. And any panel show is going to be only as good as its weakest guest, I suppose. You know, it's all about the people they managed to book. There was one episode with John Richardson and Ramesh Ranganathan. And it, that was, I thought, it was quite a good lineup of panellists. And for instance, John Richardson had to decide how he would make a jukebox musical out of the songs of S Club 7. I mean, it's silly, it's lighthearted, it's frothy. And I kind of, I enjoyed it, but I, I don't think it really quite knew what it wanted to be. Josh Widdicombe was very relaxed hosting style. It was quite Would I Lie to You Esk in that it was, you know, kind of like a parlour game and we would just relax among friends, just chatting about ideas. But then James Acaster it was much more of a sort of stylized input and he was a bit screechy and it was a very specific style of comedy in amongst something that felt like it was supposed to be very naturalistic and just relaxed. And I think that kind of jarred a little bit. I didn't think they quite knew what they wanted to do. Yeah, there's a real contrast between those two. Um, James's comedy is slightly different as well, but I think it's the first time they've obviously made the show together. I think that them working as a duo could obviously get stronger if they give them more series. There's a great point that you make as well about the John Richardson making an S Club 7 musical. I thought as a uh, sort of hypothetical question, that worked really well, but I think it went on that bit for maybe six or seven minutes and I felt like that was something that could have been done perhaps or could have been edited down to perhaps three of the best minutes of that. And doing similar for the other hypothetical questions means you would have a you know a much funnier half an hour show than an hour show. It's sort of a little bit like more outrageous versions of the task set in Taskmaster, I suppose. You know things that, that are hypothetical because you wouldn't be able to afford to actually do them, or maybe they're just too crazy. So it's I think if you're a fan of those types of uh, types of shows, I, th- I think you're probably going to enjoy it. And let's face it, people that watch Dave are a fan of panel shows, so I think it's going to find its audience. Yeah, and this is Wednesday nights, I think, at 10 o'clock. But as you say, it is, Dave. So if you've missed it, then it'll be repeated about three or four times anyway, I expect. It's time once again to add to the list of box sets to watch before you die. Each week, one of our favourite faces from the telly flags up a must-see series. Last week, we had Derm O'Leary waxing lyrical about Game of Thrones. This week, it's the turn of Simon Cowell. Now, uh, so far in this feature, we've had a lot of really intense powerful television a lot of hbo dramas so i'm interested to see what simon's going to pick let's find out what his box set to watch before you die is so my favorite box set ever and i just got it recently is columbo seasons one to ten my name is columbo ma'am i'm a uh, lieutenant uh, from the police no thank you darling you're not going to make a sucker out of me like you did Murchison. <laughs> no, the newspaper on the foyer table, that was a late edition. I mean, I even saw racetrack results in it. Exactly what is your point, Lieutenant? Suddenly I thought of something. How clever that first murder was. The phone gimmick. Working late in the office. Brilliant. Are you awarding gold medals today? Yes. For the first one. Not for the second one. It was sloppy. So that's number one. The Kennedys, I think, would be number two. And then I think we're going to have to say Thunderbirds. Five, four, three, two, one. Thunderbirds are go. Thunderbirds are go. What do you make of those choices, Jeffers? Typical Simon Carr, you know, you ask him for one thing, he gives you three. But um, (laughs) yeah, I mean, it wasn't what I was expecting. I know that he likes cartoons. I know that he's like some documentary series. But um, to pick Columbo, I mean, it really threw me. My sort of recollections of that show are just it being on sort of afternoons and lunchtimes and it just sort of being there in the background in the afternoon. But 
Perhaps we weren't really giving it the respect it deserves. It won 13 Emmys, two Golden wow. Globes. And it was, re- you know, a huge detective series of its time. Um, ran for 10 seasons. So obviously uh, Simon sounds like he's got the full works there, all 60 uh, odd episodes to watch. Um, yeah, I've sort of watched it in sort of passing, but never really paid it massively close attention. What about you? No, I'm the same as you. I remember it being on as a kid and me being bored and thinking like, when is this ever going to end? But that's not really a reflection on the show. It's because I would have wanted to be watching Buffy or something. You know, like it's just the wrong age. But maybe I should go back and revisit it because like you say, it's, it ran for a long time. I didn't know it had got that many awards. And I think um, for me, my one was Frost. I used to love watching David Jason in Frost. And I think Peter Falk's obviously of that ilk and probably even more decorated than David Jason was for Frost. So it's definitely um, a very credible show and we need to probably give it a bit more kudos than we have so far and probably go back and watch some more. Do you think he ordered it off Amazon or do you think he went into HMV? Said, like, just, just stack me up with Colombo. I need to see it all again immediately. He's not going into any stores. He tends to, <laughs> I think he buys some stuff online or Lauren, his, his partner, might have got it for him. As far as I've always known in the past, he generally watches a lot of cartoons. I know he's really into... Cartoons? Yeah, yeah. In the bath, he watches a lot of cartoons. <laughs> and uh, my encyclopedic knowledge of Simon's this? TV here. Were you there? No, I wasn't there. He's spoken about it before. And that's obviously where the Thunderbirds uh, stuff comes in as well. But um, yeah, I, I wasn't aware of his Columbo infatuation. Uh, so yeah, perhaps we all need to have another watch at it. Well, there we go. I did not expect him to say that anyway. <laughs> so we'll be hearing from another famous face from the telly to tell us their box set to watch before you die next week. We're almost out of time in this week's episode. But as ever, we need to scan across our EPGs and kind of hazard a guess at what we'll be talking about, not just next week, but also next month and next year. Jeffers, I rely on you for this. Hit me up next week. Next week, we've got Partridge returning to the BBC, which is a big thing in this time, the sort of spoof of the one show. On a more serious note, on Thursday, 28th of February, you've got In the Line of Fire with Ross Kemp, which is pretty much doing exactly what it says on the tin. It is Ross Kemp looking uh, into the armed police and going on the front line and seeing what sort of weapons and seeing how the police are confronted with lethal weapons. So that's going to be serious and Ross puffing his chest out and doing his (laughs) thing, which I know a lot of people like. People really enjoy those documentaries. What about next month? Next month, slightly different change of pace here. We've got Queer Eye. Uh, series three coming to Netflix March the 15th. I know that's going to be really exciting for a lot of people. It's quite a nice relaxed view, isn't it? Uh, nothing too serious. Get a drink and sit yourself down and uh, you can chill out watching that. Sometimes they're quite emotional as well in terms of the, the transformation. And next year? Next year, The Singapore Grip. This is a new ITV drama, six parts, and they've got an Oscar winning screenwriter, Christopher Hampton. He's going to uh, be putting it together. It's an epic story set during World War II. So another big drama that's going to be on ITV. Brilliant. Lots for us to keep an eye on there. And that's what we've got time for. This has been the Series Linked podcast. Thank you to everyone who's left a five-star rating or said something nice on our apps. Keep them coming if you would be so kind. And be sure to subscribe so that the next episode will be ready for you on Tuesday morning. Until then, bye-bye. Cheers. Your favorite band's about to play a sold-out show. You got in. Over here. With a friend. And found a spot close enough to see the set list. They're definitely playing your song. When you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it.